The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and video teachings, visit mountainpark.org. Um, good morning, Mountain Park. My name is Beth Wolf, and I am the pastor of student ministries here at the church, and I am super excited to be here with you this morning. Um, before we get started in diving into the passage we're going to be looking at today, I need to give you a little warning. Um, if you haven't heard, uh, I am 12 weeks pregnant, and which is super exciting, right? Great. Uh, and I don't tell you that to try to get applause or uh, baby shower gifts or anything like that. It's more so if I wind up running off the stage at any point in time, I just needed to take care of something. Uh, I'll be back in a few minutes and uh, with a more settled stomach. So uh, just forgive that if that happens. I'm not planning on it, but, you know, sometimes things come up. Um, <laughs> right? Joke. Uh, so I wanted to give you a little bit of insight uh, about what our students have been learning about this year. And it's really, really exciting. We actually have the same year-long series called AD, the Year of Our Lord, um, but it's really only similar in name. What we've done is we've taken that concept of the Year of Our Lord and we're really looking at seven different characteristics of God, who God is, and then how that kind of affects us in our daily life. See, the way that I understand who God is, is a lot like gravity. There are truths about gravity all around us. Like, gravity is the reason that I walk instead of fly. It's the reason that I don't jump off 10-story buildings because I know what will happen to me, right? We've got all of these things that because there are truths about gravity, we change the way that we're living. We live differently because of that. And we're trying to help our students understand that really um, the truths about God affect us in these same sort of huge ways. That God is holy and he is our redeemer and he loves us and that affects everything that we do on a daily basis. And so we've been walking through that this year and it's been going great, really, really great. Um, Alan asked me to step into your series of the Year of Our Lord, and I am really excited that you are in the middle of the wonder part of who Jesus is, that Jesus did all of these miracles, all of these things that just people were taken aback by. Now, when Alan first asked me to step in, he said, hey, I've got this great message. You can talk about exorcism. And I said... (laughs) No, <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take natural natural miracles, the miracles that Jesus performs over nature. Um, and so that's what we're going to be diving into today. We're going to be talking and looking at um, how the, Jesus shows the depth of his control, the depth of his control over this world, and that because of that control, we don't have to fear anything in this life. Um, And so we're going to be diving in that today. We're going to be looking at Mark 4, verse 35. So if you want to just go ahead and turn in your Bibles there now, you'll be all set for when we launch in. Let's go ahead and pray together and ask God's Spirit to come on on us and and be here, open our minds and our hearts. Um, If you will pray with me while I pray aloud. Father God, I thank you so much that you have given us your word, that you have given us truth about who you are. And Father, as we look into that, as we dive into that, I ask that your Holy Spirit would come, would rest on these people, 
that we would see clearly a picture of who you are and, and, and who we are supposed to be and how we're supposed to live that out because of that. In your holy and precious name, amen. So as we look through the Gospels, we see that Jesus actually does miracles of all sorts when it comes to nature. And I remember when I was in um, chemistry or biology in high school, uh, we learned about scientific law. And, and one of them that Jesus completely breaks is that you can't, you can't create or destroy matter. That there's this thing that you can't multiply it. It's just whatever is there can be transformed somehow, but, but you can't create new matter. And yet when we read the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 or the 4,000, um, we see that Jesus has completely taken that scientific rule and he's bent it. He's broken it. He has created matter out of nothing. And then if we keep looking a little bit further, we also see that he uh, breaks the law of buoyancy. That buoyancy says that when you push against water, water will push against you, and, and because of however much force or mass or density or however that works, you're going to either float or you're going to sink. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to bend that law too. I'm going to actually walk on the water. So we see that story, and, and we find that the disciples yet again are amazed. Even Peter steps out and walks on the water to bend that scientific law. There's also an idea in science and in this world that you cannot control the plants or the animals. That, that for plants, there's kind of a growth cycle and they have it in their cells, which direction they're going to go and how they're going to grow. And yet Jesus is able to turn to a fig tree at one point and say, be cursed and die. And that fig tree withers up and dies. And then, one of my favorite, he, he um, needs to pay a tax. Uh, so he tells Peter, go find a fish, look in the fish's mouth, and you'll see the coin that we need to pay our taxes. He controls the fish. And I just wish that that would happen for me. Like, where's my fish with my tax money in it, right? And so we see over and over and over again that Jesus is bending and breaking all of the rules of our universe that have been set up. He also causes chemical changes when he turns water into wine. That's my particular favorite story because it shows that Jesus is really a party animal, right? He somehow figures out, he knows how to make some sort of chemical change reaction happen at a, at a molecular level where the water becomes wine at this great party. And we also see that he controls the weather. And that's what we're going to be looking at in Mark 4. So let's read together starting in verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drowned? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I think this is really interesting because Jesus' reaction, you know, 
whenever we see the blue-eyed, blue-sashed Jesus, he's always like super loving and kind. And yet his reaction here is, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? He almost comes across mean. I mean, the disciples are terrified, and he's like, ah, oh, you fools. And yet at the same time, we see that the disciples had reason to be afraid. In, in Mark, he calls it a furious squall, which if you've seen movies like um, The Perfect Storm or White Squall, you know that that's like this huge wave that rises up out of nowhere, 30, 40 feet high, to sweep over boats. In Mark, the same story is told, and the Greek word that's used is actually the word for hurricane, right? A hurricane rose up over the lake. Now, even today, the lake that they were on is the Sea of Galilee. And, and even today, there's, there's stories of huge storms coming up out of completely nowhere. And the reason why is because the Sea of Galilee has this mountain range, and the wind sweeps over the mountains, dives down, picks up as much water as it can, and the wind causes these huge swells of water. Now, fishermen and people know that these happen, and they know to look out for them. But this is obviously one that no one could have predicted. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been out there. This was a terrifying, terrifying thing. And yet Jesus uses three words, quiet, be still, and everything calms down. Now, this is amazing for two reasons. One is because the wind actually listened to him. Weather doesn't listen to anybody. But this time, it actually calms down. Now, I was in Florida a couple weeks ago, and what, what, th there was kind of this storm that kicked up, and so we couldn't go out on the beach, and it was kind of a huge bummer or whatever. But what we learned was that even when the wind stops, the waves continue to churn. Right? That's how storms naturally work. The wind will stop, but the waves continue to be choppy for a while. It's just got to take some time to settle things down. And yet here, we see that Mark says that the waves died down and the wind was completely calm. So he defies not only the control of the weather, but the progression of how a storm even works and calms. In that moment, he completely settles it right then. And because of that, the disciples ask, who is this man? Now, who is this man? Right? That's what these miracle stories are all about. They're revealing who God is. In John 1.1, 1, 1, John uses a really particular word to describe Jesus. He calls him the word. And he says, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning of time was Jesus. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He created all things. So we learn right there that Jesus is actually the creator of all things. That when God in the very beginning in that Genesis account of him creating things, when God speaks light, land, animals, humans, Jesus was there with him. Jesus was a part of that speaking and that creating. Now, I always get this thing in my mind of God the creator, Jesus the creator being like a sculptor who kind of makes something in an image that even when he created humans, he kind of made the image of a human, and then he did that. But the thing that always takes me back is that he didn't even have any materials to create anything. Like he had to create the materials first, and then he had to create the image, and then he had to create the system for how everything operated. 
He had to create the way that our lungs and our brains work. He had to create some sort of way that when I wiggle my fingers over here, I know that I'm wiggling my fingers, but my brain is somehow telling me. Like, he had to create all of those things. So he doesn't create just water. He creates the molecules that create water. He creates the fact that they are polar, so they attract one another and pool together. He creates this way that they uniquely, um, I get kind of excited about, uh, that they uniquely like um, contract when they freeze and expand when they melt. He created that system too, and he created some sort of way for them to have a boiling point or an energy point where they start bumping into each other so radically that they create steam, which then can power other things. All those systems, God totally created. My favorite example of this is, is this bowl, right? This is just a bowl of dirt that I found outside. Nothing special about this dirt. And this dirt is actually made up of carbon, um, hydrogen, uh, nitrogen, and some H2O, right? Some water. It's kind of moist. There's also some trace minerals in here. The coolest thing about this bowl of dirt is that our human bodies are created of carbon, nitrogen, hydrogen, H2O, and some trace minerals. We're the same thing. I mean, that's crazy. And yet, God somehow uh, strategically came up with this system where this would be totally different from this. Totally different. And it's because his breath is breathed into this. His spirit is breathed into this that transforms this from this. That's, that's pretty cool. We're the same thing. And, and that is the creator we're talking about. That is the powerful creator that was sitting in the boat with those disciples. That's how awesome he is. He takes one word to create all things and all of the systems and to set them in place and to orchestrate them and start them moving. And he takes one word to stop them. Still. Quiet. Enough. We're done. This is the power of Jesus. This is the power of our creator. This is the depth of his control. He controls every element of those things. And when you think about that, it's no wonder that Jesus was able to stop the storm. He created the whole system for how the storm started. He said no more. He is the author of these systems, and he is also the overrider of those things. Now, with that perspective, we understand then why Jesus says, why are you afraid? Don't you have any faith? It's like he's saying in that moment, don't you get who I am yet? Do you know who I am? I'm a big deal. I created all this. I got this. Right? He, he's telling them in that moment, he's not being mean, he's just saying, do you know who I am and yet, the disciples were terrified. Now, four of these disciples are experienced seamen. They're fishermen. That's their trade. They've been on the waters forever, and yet they are so scared. See, fear has a way of creeping into our heads and our hearts, and, and we forget all reason in those moments. We forget who we are. We forget who we're with. We forget who other people are. We forget all sorts of things. Because that fear just seems so big. The storm is so big. 
Now, I had an experience last summer where I was in a little bit of a storm myself, and although Jesus may have spiritually been with me, um, he was not physically present in this boat. And it wasn't a boat, it was a Ferris wheel cage. And I wasn't with other disciples, I was with a bunch of students. See, (laughs) we had finished up the servant leadership trip, the same one that these three students are talking about. We finished it up last year, and we decided that we would go to California Adventure for a little fun day, which was a great decision, until I got on the Ferris wheel, Mickey Mouse of death. Now, on this Ferris wheel, you can choose two different choices. You can choose the Ferris wheel cages that just remain stationary, just kind of move around. It's lots of fun. But I, of course, was with a group of students that said, no, we've been on this Ferris wheel before. There is a better option. You need to choose the one that has, that, that can swing, that it has this big circuit that you go on. And as the Ferris wheel goes around, the circuit shifts shapes, shifts shapes, and the cage swings from one end to the other. And it is so much fun. And me, being the awesome student pastor that I am, said, okay. And we get on this thing, and and as we get on there, we sit down, and one of the students says, this is the funnest thing you do. You run from one side of the cage to the other, and you make this thing swing as fast as possible. I don't really like heights. I don't really trust rides. It didn't take long before my heart was pounding in my throat, and I was screaming, maybe on the brink of tears, I don't know. Stop it! (laughs) Sit down! (laughs) Now there is a clearly marked sign that says, it, it says clearly, do not stand, do not rock, do not walk on these cages. And I keep pointing out, there is a sign! There is a sign that says we need to sit down, please sit down! And just as this thing tips to the brink, the cage slides all the way up. I swear we were inverted. I swear it. Um, I was terrified. Terrified. And it only, it, only, it only stopped, slowed down a little bit when I jumped on top of the student <laughs> and pinned her to her seat and said, No! <laughs> Sit down! I really was scared. And in that moment, I was not thinking, you know what, God's in control. (laughs) I wasn't. I was thinking, I'm going to die, and why is this? I have been a faithful servant. (laughs) Why is this happening to me? I was fine, but I was terrified. And so I can put myself in that position of those disciples And I think that each one of us can. Now, it doesn't always mean that we've been in a really bad, um, uh, catastrophic sort of uh, natural disaster. And it doesn't mean we've been on a Ferris wheel. But it does mean that perhaps there has been a great storm that has risen up in our lives at some point. That has terrified us to the core. That has made us doubt everything about ourselves and everything about who God is. Fear creeps up in all sorts of ways. There's the fear of loss. I'm terrified that I may lose my job next month. I have no idea how I'm going to make ends meet for my family. I've lost my spouse. 
I don't even know who I am anymore. I've lost my child. I don't know who God is anymore. I'm afraid of being abandoned. I'm afraid of all sorts of different things. Fear can cripple us, and sometimes when it's more subtle fears like that, we don't even realize there's a storm. We don't even realize we're afraid. We just know that we're living out of that fear completely, and we're super scared. I know Alan right now is scared that the Coyotes are going to lose the hockey playoffs. (laughs) I think they might. Don't tell him, but I don't know. We're in Phoenix. Anyways, (laughs) during those times of complete fear, the anchor really is that last question that the disciples asked. Who is this man? Who is this man? That is our anchor in those times of fear, in those times of the storms. Because if we don't know the answer, we're lost. That fear will eat away at us. But if we do know the answer, he is the creator, he is the author, and he is the controller of all things. We can rest in that. We can rest in those things. Now, there's, there's kind of this really famous um, quote that goes along with this, and it's, um, the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. And I think it's a great quote. The safest place to be is in the center of God's will, and it's really true. But you have to understand the whole context of where that quote comes from. It comes from a book by a woman named Corey Ten Boom, and the book is called The Hiding Place. And it, chronologi- it, it tells of her story um, in, during the Nazi regime. She and her family were convicted about the devastating tragedies that the Jews were going through. So they chose as a family to hide Jews in their house and in their, in their um, family business. Now, right when she says this, when she has this realization in the story, is right after a huge bombshell goes off in, uh, right outside her bedroom window. And she returns to her room after waking up in the middle of the night to check on something, and she finds a piece of shrapnel right on her pillow. And in that moment, she has this realization, the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. And it is not because she was in a safe situation. She was in the middle of a terrifying storm. And yet, she acknowledges, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is totally where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be living in the storm and knowing who God is. Right in this moment. Now, for her, the storm doesn't come as quickly as it does for the disciples, right? She actually and her whole family wind up being taken um, into one of the concentration camps. And she, among her family is the only survivor. The rest of her family dies. And yet, at the end of the book, she still holds to this idea. All along, I knew the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. Now, the same thing is true for the disciples. They wait out this storm, but in the end, John is the only disciple who does not get martyred at some point, killed for his faith along the road. See, so we have this idea about the safest place being in the center of God's will, um, and that's true, but it doesn't mean that every storm is going to be calm. It doesn't mean that everything is going to be peachy and everything's going to feel safe. It's safe because we know who's in the boat with us. I know that there are tremendous storms that you, as one of the 12, are going to face. 
and some of them will not be calmed quickly, nor will they be explained for you, which is probably the hardest, the hardest part. But God still says, do not fear, have faith, I am in control. To be a follower and to have faith is to know the depths of God's control so deeply that in the middle of the storm, we can cling to that idea. Have faith. Do not be afraid. God is in control. Now, I, I have f- lots of families around me right now that are really struggling with um, a, a lot of different things, a lot of disease, a lot of trauma. Um, one of them is a youth pastor friend of mine. Um, his name is Brian. And he found out about two months ago that his four-year-old daughter has um, an inoperable malignant brain tumor. And the cancer has spread so badly that it has created this very intricate web, not only throughout her brain, but all the way down her spinal cord. And the doctors have told the whole family, listen, um, we can't do anything, and any efforts for radiation would, would brain damage her so severely that she wouldn't have any sort of quality of life, even if we were able to take care of the cancer. Totally can't do it. And Brian and his wife are still trusting in the middle of all that, that that if there was to be something that needed to happen, that if God was going to intervene, he could, with one word, just as he has started all these systems with one word, he could stop it with one word. He could step into that. And we don't know if that's going to happen, but they're continuing to remain hopeful and fearless in the middle of this. Um, and if you ask them why, why, why are you fearless? Why are you so hopeful? They tell you that because I know who God is, I know that he holds the entire universe in his hand. And he definitely holds Natalie. And so if something's going to happen, there's got to be some big glory that's going to be paid off to God in the end. And I'm all about that. See, I think that sometimes life is a big game of Mad Libs. There's all these blanks that don't always get filled in as quickly as we want them to. And no matter how many times we read the story to try to figure out what word could go in there, what explanation, what reason could be in there, the blank continues to remain empty, completely empty. And it's really hard to live in the middle of all those blanks. The biggest one that I find in my life is if God's in control, why is he letting this happen? If God's in control, why am I still suffering with addiction? If God's in control, why is my husband or wife leaving me? If God's in control, why is this person sick? If God's in control, why am I losing my house? Why have I lost my job? Why is this big storm going on? And we don't always get those blanks filled in. The blank we do get filled in is the same one that Jesus kind of tells the disciples, hints at with the disciples. Have faith, do not be afraid, because I'm in the boat with you. I've got this. Do you know who I am? I'm totally here. That's the blank that we have filled in. So today, I want to invite you all to respond to who God is. You may be in the middle of a really difficult storm right now. 
most of us probably are facing something at this point. As one of the 12, there's a lot of storms that come up. And what I want to ask you to do is in this time of response, in this time uh, 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 of musical response, I want you to really wrestle with this idea. Can I have faith? Am I afraid? And who do I really think is in control? And you can respond this morning in all sorts of ways. If you want to remain in your seat and really focus on the lyrics, have, have them be um, like a tide that just washes over your brain. If that's the truth that you need to hear this morning, that you would let that seep in and replace all of the fear. If you need to go over to this station over here, you can light a candle and say, God, I need a symbol of hope in my life that I don't need to be afraid anymore. And you can light a candle out of, out of, to, to create that symbol, to create that light for you. If there is a fear that is nagging, 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 and you need to let go of that and really give it to God and remember that he is in control, you can come over here to the, the, the station with the cross. You can write that on a piece of paper. You can nail that to the cross and let God take care of those things. There's other ways to respond that are listed in your, um, in your program. Those are just some of the ones that I wanted to highlight for you guys. Let's pray together. Father, you um, are always with us in the boat. In the middle of the storm, you are the one that we cling to. May we have faith and may we not be afraid as followers of you. Amen.